Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Psalm chapter 16, verse 2 says this, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Very quickly, Proverbs chapter 12 and 26, while you're still remaining, standing, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. You can be seated tonight. I want to talk to you tonight on a simple topic, very simple topic. You've heard me talk about it many times before. I want to talk about excellence. We've brought it up at different times in the course of leadership, and we've talked about it. I've mentioned it in the course of messages and things that I've said, but it occurred to me a long time ago, and I've been challenged in in, in what I do and through my leadership, that everything that we should do, everything that we do that's associated with serving God, whether it be coming in on a Wednesday night, whether it be serving in a ministry, whether it be preaching from the pulpit, should be done with absolute excellence. We should strive for excellence in everything we do for God. Is he worthy of anything less? Right? It's very obvious, right? It's very, it makes a lot of sense. And so in these two scriptures I shared with you, uh, it, my goodness is extended not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent, and he's combining those two. Those thoughts go together, by the way. They're not two separate groups. To those that are in the earth and to the excellent literally means the same group of people. Uh, the saints in the earth that are excellent, in whom is all my delight. God delights in the people, his saints, that are operating in excellence. I would have to say, and for those of you that are managers and business owners and leaders and you've managed people, you probably aren't really all that excited about the employees that you have or the people that you've worked with that just kind of seem to mail it in or, or just give half an effort. How frustrating is it? Let's see, Brother Brown, you've got many employees. How frustrating is it for you when you look at a, a, a young lady or a young man uh, that's a skilled person in, in your employee that you know in your heart of hearts is capable of so much more because of their skills and their abilities, but they won't live to a place of excellence. It's frustrating, isn't it? So imagine how God would look at us knowing the gift that he's given us, knowing what he's done for us, knowing everything that is about this life and this world and what's set for those who don't serve him and what's set for those that do serve him and all of that we've been given and the tremendous blessings and everything that's poured out upon us for those under his care that would just sort of, eh, I'm gonna mail it in. I'm gonna operate with under my capabilities. Who above all knows our capabilities and our level of ability, right? God's looking for excellence and all of his delight is in those saints who operate in excellence, right? If you're gonna do it, do it with everything you've got. Zig Ziglar used to say, I don't care if you're mopping a floor, if you're wiping down a piece of machinery, if you're doing the lowliest job in the world, you get a hold of that mop and you mop that floor with excellence and you make it look good because you know what? That floor mopper doesn't last in that position very long. Brother Brown, what do you do with those people in your employ that whatever job they're given, they're just in there giving it? 
You let them languish in there or what? Raise them up, raise them up. I pick on Brother Brown because he's got a lot of guys over there and he's got a great uh, organization of people he's bringing up in, in their leadership and training. And, and he understands, and, and, and as I'm sure many of you do as well, it, it, it's just a natural thing that if you see somebody, we used to say, do the job, be the job, and get the job, right? And so when I was coming up in management and I, and I was in the advertising field, that was the challenge. And so I, I had Sunday school teachers like Brother Matson and, and, and leaders and pastors and people used to kick me in the tail and say, do a better job. Come on, stop messing around. And so I learned as a very young man, you know, get in there. He's the one that got me on, on Zig Ziglar. So, you know, I learned that stuff. And, and, and so Zig would say, whatever you're doing, do excellently because you won't be in that place very long. Mopping floor isn't very fun, is it? But you ain't going to mop floors very long if you do it with excellence. You do it with pride. Vince Lombardi said, if you're showing up on time, you're already late. Come on. Why? Because it shows excellence. If you're saying, well, man, I'm going to get here early. I'm going to get my uniform on, get my stuff in my locker, get my, you know, my junk put, in my, put away and my lunch set up there. Right? And then you show up to punch in as you're working just like that. That's excellence. And so therefore, the promotions come and you're not going to languish in that job very long. And I've had some, I, I know many of you could probably tell stories too. I've had some awful jobs. My first job, Brother Poborski, can re, he can relate to this, was at Rupina's Deli. My job was to go in at night at like six o'clock at night and pick, put on a, a slicker and, and galoshes and go into the meat cutting room with, with a spray gun and sit there and blast all the fat and crud and goop and meat and junk off of all of the cutting machines in there. And, and, and I'd go home at night and I'd have pieces of meat in my hair and I'd be all wet because the slicker didn't really do any good job. But I went into that thing and, and I was told, do it with excellence. And I hated that job so bad. But I didn't last in there too long. Thank God. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. What does that mean? And, and do we define excellence well? Do we, I, I think everybody, we talk about excellence, and I think it kind of just sort of comes out. We kind of get what that means, right? The best of the best. Our best attitude, our best behavior, the top level. Now, none of us operates at a, period, a point of excellence constantly all the time. That'd be, like an, uh, that'd be like a fighter pilot just putting thrusters on all the way from the time he took off to the time he landed, right? Or, is it? So sometimes I think we, we define excellence a little bit out of the realm and a little bit out of the reach, but it's important to define these terms. None of us can operate at the total peak excellence all the time. We get exhausted. You got to have time to land the plane. You got to have time to have your, your breaks and recoup and sit down and have your lunch. When I'm sitting down after a hard work of a half a day and I'm eating my lunch, I'm not eating my lunch with excellence. I'm just taking a breath going, thank goodness I don't have to mop or spray meat off of anything for the moment. Right? But then you put your lunch away and you pack things up and you clean yourself up and you get back and you work with excellence. What can I do to be better at this? I was taught and trained coming up in the work world to be a systems guy. I'm a systems person. I'm an organizer. I like systems. I like things that make, operate things efficiently. I, I, I like to move and, and get things done and, and get things completed. And I like projects and I like updates. And, and, and I like to constantly look forward. I'm, I'm planning out for the church right now. Uh, I'm in the middle of summer right now. And I'm 
And I'm, I'm thinking into early fall. I'm planning ahead. I'm, I'm constantly thinking of the things. I'm working on the marketing plan, and I'm constantly updating that. And, and I have systems in place for everything. And, and, it's, it, and it, was just, it was just instilled in me that those things can bring excellence. You complete your jobs on time you, or early. You get things done properly and not sloppy, Right? And so God is saying in these two scriptures, David and of course in Proverbs, uh, that excellence is extremely important to him. You know that in Daniel chapter 5 and 6, if you were to go read the story of David, uh, excuse me, Daniel, and what he dealt with, we, we, at our house we call it operating with excellence in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. My kids have heard me say this. You act with honor in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. You know what I mean by that? You know, when you go to work every day, guess where you are? You're captive of the heathen world, right? You understand what I'm saying, right? You're captive of the non-Christian world. Unless you guys work at the church here with me or in some other religious environment, you're working in the heathen world. So when you're working there, you're operating in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And so what did, what did Daniel do? He operated with excellence. It, said he had, it says in one scripture in verse 5 that he had an excellent spirit. It said that he had excellent wisdom in another scripture. And in another scripture it went on and said that he was preferred above presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. You see, regardless of the fact that he was captive of a heathen king, he knew that the thing to do to honor God was to stand upright and behave with excellence and with an excellent spirit. Regardless of what he, what he was called to do, regardless of the fact that he was captive of a heathen king that did not honor God, he was going to operate at a level of excellence. And guess what happened? Elevated, 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 right? Joseph, the same thing, operated in excellence. There's a really great old movie. Many of you might be familiar with this. Anybody remember the movie, The Bridge and the River Kwai? Okay, Sir Alec Guinness played a British uh, commander. Who, his whole squad had been captured. They're in, a, in this Japanese prison camp. And uh, this, they needed to build a bridge across this river in order to continue advancing their army. And there was some mission at hand, and I don't remember. But anybody remember the tune? That went along with that. So, dun, 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 dun. They were whistling the whole time they were working. Okay, all right. I'm just bringing the memory back for everybody. So, Alec Guinness in this role, and I don't remember his character name in the movie, was commissioned by these Japanese officers because they had this skill, they had this ability, and they were going to build that bridge as slaves for the Japanese uh, prison camp to build this bridge to help the Japanese go and do more damage in World War II against their people. But because he honored, because he operated with excellence, he decided in his mind they were going to build the best bridge that you could possibly build with the tools and the materials that they had. And it got to the point where at the end of the film, if you remember the film, it got to the point that it had gotten so deeply ingrained in him, the pride that he had of the excellence they did to build this bridge, that when, when they were all said and done, and some of the guys were kind of like, what is with this guy? I'm like, why don't we just do some stuff sloppy? And no, 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 we're going to do this right, and we're going to be honorable, and we're going to build it with excellence. Well, if you remember, those of you that saw it, if you remember towards the tail end of the movie, there's guys that are coming in that are going to do some demolition on this thing and are going to blow it up. He died 
defending the bridge, trying to stop his own people from blowing up the bridge of the enemy. He took it pretty far. But it was so ingrained in him to do the honorable thing in the court of Nebuchadnezzar that he died defending his position. Isn't that something? In Hebrews chapter 11 and 4, it says, this is the famous faith chapter, it says, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Now, does that mean it was the, the most excellent, you know, he, he, he brought the animal sacrifice. But it was excellent because he honored God through it. He did what God requested. Anybody remember what his brother brought? His brother was a tiller of the ground. He, he made vegetables. He did, had a vegetable garden. And so Cain, in this sort of defiant way, saying, well, this is what I bring to God, and I don't care what God wants. I, you know, I'm, I'm proud over what I do, and so I'm going to bring what I want to bring in the sacrifice. And of course, it, it did displease God. And Cain actually hated Abel because God received him and received his excellent sacrifice. He did what he did with excellence, and that includes honoring the word of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but way towards the end of the Bible, the second of the last book, the book of Jude, somewhere around verse 8, the spirit of Cain returns. The spirit of Cain is one of three spirits, and eventually four, if you get into Revelation chapter 2, that are tormenting the church of the latter days. Because it's a spirit that comes against that excellent desire to please God. And it returns. We'll preach about that down the road here pretty soon. In Philippians chapter 4, a scripture most of you are very familiar with, Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 9 goes like this. It says, therefore, my brethren, this is Paul writing to them, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Already we're getting some sort of an instruction here uh, regarding standing fast. It starts to allude to accidents. He says in this next portion, he says, I beseech Yodius, and I beseech, and that word is pronounced suntuk. Just so you know, many of you have read that over in Sintiki, Sintichki. It's pronounced in the Greek, suntuki. Yodius and suntuki, however you say it, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. What was happening here is these two people, for whatever reason, were, ha- were at odds with one another. It wasn't going well. And Paul was writing about this. And he says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, that's what he's calling all of us. We're all sharing the same yoke. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so Paul is giving this instruction. He's writing to the Philippians, and he's saying, look, we got to, we, we, you got to get together. Your yoke fellow, your laborers together in this effort. Stand fast, and he, he points out these two that were having some sort of a disagreement, and so he compares that to these others that are in unity. And he, he says, and their names are in the book of life. And he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In other words, look above all of this stuff that you're dealing with, and don't have divisions, don't have this mess going on. Rejoice in the Lord. You've got the Lord. You've got God Almighty. You're on your way. 
Can we do that with excellence? Can we kind of set aside our divisions and our, and our things that are breaking us up and get a hold of unity and handle it like in, in excellence? He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, some people just read that as, as moderation is a good Christian thing. Why is it inserted into this little piece of scripture here? Why is he talking all of a sudden about moderation? Because when we get all up in arms and we get all fired up, or we get kind of, we start standing on our on our guard, our our, our our vegetable garden offering to God, we kind of start getting a little fired up about it. And well, well I, I grew vegetables and I want God to accept that. And so what he's saying is you gotta be moderate. That's not a moderate way to approach things. When you start getting extreme about your feelings on a certain situation or extreme to the point where conflict begins, your moderation goes out the door. Let your moderation, your calm, your unity, let your moderation be shown to all men. Conduct yourself in a way that's Christian in behavior. You're stomping around out there. He won't accept my vegetables and I don't like that. That's not moderate. And it's certainly not excellent. The Lord is at hand, it says there at the end of verse 5. Be careful for nothing. I talked about this on Sunday. But in everything, be pr- by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's a, it's a message of humility and moderation. But then it goes on. And in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about if your vegetables aren't the favorite thing that God wanted to see that day. You're okay. But then he goes on in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Now, you know, remember this list, right? Some of you can quote it with me. Whatsoever things are true. Well, what's that the opposite of? Whatsoever things that are false. Whatsoever things that you don't really know for sure if what you got in the story is really true. Come on now, preach with me. Whatsoever things are hearsay, Whatsoever things are rumor, whatsoever things are half true. You know, as human beings, sometimes we we can tell a story and we can leave a whole lot of facts out of the story and it completely sways a person one way or the other. When he says whatsoever things are true, he's talking about factual, real, actual, identifiable under the eyes of God. This happened. This is the way it is. This is pure truth. Somebody preach with me. It's high time that in the church of the living God, this one, that one, the other one down the road, and all of them all over the place, stop indulging in things that are roundabout truth. Partial truths are not true. Purposely misidentified truths are not true. And far too often, We find ourselves victim or someone else victim of words and phrases and recollections of events and things that are a misalignment of truth. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, I think that kind of goes along with that. Real is really what I read that to be. Real, honest. Sometimes we use the term down to earth. Honest, just be honest. Right? Whatsoever things are just or righteous, right? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Oh my goodness. We're surrounded 
by constant levels of bad report. And you've, you've heard me up here, up and down and back and forth, come against the terrible report of the world. What does the word say? Whose report will we believe? We will believe the report of the Lord. I was, somebody sent me something the other day about what's happening with the Ukraine and Russia. And that there's a belief out there, and, and I, I read this piece that was sent to me, and I thought it was very interesting. There's a belief out there that, that Vladimir Putin is the Prince of Rosh. And if you know that story, you know that it's very, it's very integral in the end times, the 200 million man army, and all of this stuff that's going. And, so they're, they're, and I'm not saying it's not, and I'm not saying he's not. I'm just simply saying that this, this article and this, this stuff I was given went on and on and on and on. And I have to be really honest with you, and, I, and I'm not patting my, this is not about me, but the entire time I'm reading this, I'm going, we need to save souls. We need to save souls. We, it's about souls. It's about souls. Well, then Putin's going to get this guy and, and the Ukrainian army and Chinese are going to gather together with him. And, and it's about souls. We need to save souls. There's 2,588 souls in the city of Wales. There's tw- right? I'm not being overly righteous. I'm just simply saying, so what? Whose report will you believe? I'm going to believe the report of the Lord that there's a revival coming, that there's a hungry white field out there of, of a harvest that's ready to be gathered and needs somebody to come out and preach the truth to them. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise... <laughs> And I, I examined that when I was studying this, and I thought, if there be any virtue, in other words, if there's just a scrap of virtue, if there's just a little bit of praise in it, that's, how, that's God knows how we, we deal with one another and how we communicate with one another, right? Sometimes it can just be so... That, that thing that I read, there was no praise, and there was nothing good about that. It was doom and gloom, and it's, there's the end times, and et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what you personally can do about that situation and about the end times, you personally? Nothing. Not a stinking thing. Unless you know Vladimir Putin personally or you know how to get in the back door of his house, maybe slip him something in his Cheerios or something. You can do nothing about these scenarios, right? So what good does it do for us to sit around and talk about the doom and pending destruction of the world? What we ought to be doing is sitting around and talking about the good reports and the good things that are happening with the work that we're doing as a church body and talking about the things that God's going to do and the things he's promising. And you understand what I'm saying? And testifying and talking about the great, the good reports. Those things are excellent. When I hear a report of somebody who was doomed to death by the medical society and they're now walking and talking and breathing again, that they had given up on them and God gave them a miracle, that's excellent. And I want to talk about those things. I want to share those stories with you. Amen? All right, I won't belabor. Think on those things. Now notice he didn't say run around yell about those things. You run around talk about those things. Think on them. Why? Why does Paul want them to think on all of these things first? Because, again, let's go back into the battlefield of the mind. It starts here first. And maybe what gets worked on here stops what's working out here. And what's coming out of here? 
He wants you to think on those things. In other words, discipline yourself. Be an excellent Christian and discipline yourself to be a person who goes through that whole list. What's, what's good happening at Abundant Life? What's good happening in our community? What's good happening with our ministries? What are the good reports? What has virtue? What has praise? And, and focus and think. You know why? Because if you're doing that, the enemy can't get in there and start putting all this garbage in there and creating a battlefield in your mind. Think on those powerful things. And eventually, you can... I just, I just at a point where I can read this stuff, and I, I read it. I, I check it out. I'm interested. But the whole time, all I'm thinking is, save souls. It's about souls. It's about winning souls, right? We disciple one another here. We're training, and we're building people up, and we have classes, and we have these groups. And so we're doing what we need to do here for the body, right? I believe we are. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm doing my best along with a great group of leaders who are doing everything to help disciple one another and teach and train and build up. And we're doing all of that stuff. But other than that, it's about souls. And to win souls, it's going to take excellence. He finishes out and says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Nowhere in there does it say pick up a phone. Does it say text? <laughs> does it say post it on Facebook? Does it say call your buddy, pull him in a corner, go out and... Right? We do a lot of that stuff anyway. We share with one another. You understand what I'm saying? He focuses on two key directions in this piece of scripture. One, think about them. And two, go do them. Amen? Come on. All right, I'm not sure if I'm connecting. but In James chapter 3 and 13, I'll let you turn there. James 3 and 13. It says it this way. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? That's a powerful question. I see a bunch. You were wise enough to be here at service tonight. That's a good start. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Don't pretend. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly and sensual and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Wow, what a tremendous warning. In other words, don't get too, too smart for your britches. Don't get too deep into whatever Vladimir Putin's doing or whatever you're scaring somebody with or whatever you're diving headfirst into that becomes your own wisdom. This wisdom does not come from above. God doesn't care about what the Russian army is doing at the Ukrainian border, and neither should we. We pray for them. I mean, we, we care. But like I said, there's not a thing we can do about that right now. Well, we can vote in a new congressman, and they're going to go to Washington and change everything. No, they're not. We'll vote in a new president, and that's going to fix everything. No, it is not. God will take care of what God needs to take care of. But verse 17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable, 
and gentle and easy to be entreated, to be received. If somebody's spewing stuff at you or you're reading articles or consuming TV stuff or CNN or, 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 or whatever media you're drawing things from and you're getting uneasy, you're getting fear brought into your life, you're allowing that stuff to get into your head. Oh man, World War III is about to happen and I don't know, pastor, I better send him this video so he knows that this is gonna happen. You know, if that's happening to you, it's counter to what, 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 this, what James is saying in this scripture. It needs to be easily entreated or received, full of mercy and good fruits. Do you know you have to protect yourself with this stuff that it's, it's talking against? See, to, if you're going to operate in excellence, when that other garbage that's counter to what this scripture is saying is coming your way, your job as a Christian, an excellent Christian, is to say, no, 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 no. I'm not letting that stuff dominate me. If somebody's spewing some stuff on me or they're bringing their railing activities or accusations or they're, or they're, uh, they're fear-mongering or they're doomsaying or whatever it may be, it's our job as an excellent Christian to say, nope, that's not what I'm about. See, this is, this is the end times, folks. There's not a whole lot of time. We've got a very narrow margin of error, if I can say, when it comes to how we conduct ourselves in terms of our job and our mission as a church to reach the lost, right? So you could ask yourself this question if Jesus were here and you were presenting him with all this stuff. Jesus, did you hear about Vladimir Putin? Did you, did you, well, well wait a minute. No, 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 no. Don't interrupt me, Jesus. But, but, but he's good. There's good. It's World War III is about to happen. Oh, and by the way, COVID-19. And, but, but did you see what the Democrats did? And, and by, look at these terrible Republicans. Do you really think? You know what he would do? He'd drop his head like this and walk away. How many times did he holler at the disciples for their silly gerrymandering and all their goofy, which one of us is greater in the kingdom, Jesus, blah, 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 right? He's going, what, what are you talking about? There's people that need to be saved, right? It's a very narrow margin of error that we have available to us as we move forward if we're going to be excellent Christians. He says, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. And that has to do with just drawing your line in the sand and this is what I believe and this is what I'm sticking to and I'm gonna fight for Donald Trump or I'm gonna fight for Joe Biden or I'm gonna fight for against Putin or what. You've got to be careful that your line comes down on the word of God. Your line comes down from your leadership and the men of God and the women of God that he's placed over you in a structure and order of leadership that he's given. Amen? And he says, without hypocrisy, pretending to do one and be one thing and do the other. And finally, in verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You see, the world is not looking for more stories about Vladimir Putin or World War III or the end times and all of that stuff. What the world is looking for is hope. They're looking for the good news. They're looking for something positive. They're looking for reinforcement. They, they've got all of the negative and the down and the doom and the scary and all of that that they could possibly consume in a thousand lifetimes. All they have to do is flip their phone on, turn their TV on, turn their radio on, right? They're looking for excellent Christians who have a great testimony to tell, 
who have some hope to share with them, who have a message for them that says there is hope, there's something better than what this life is offering me right now. They just need some excellent Christians. Amen? In Titus chapter 2, and I'm winding up here, I'll be done shortly. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 7, it says, show yourself in all respects, in everything that you do, to be a model of good works. Now, to me, that sounds like excellence. In everything you do, show yourself a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity. Now, this is the ESV version, so it might look a little different. And sound speech. Look what it says. That cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing but evil to say about us. You see, the world's going to come again. It's going to continue to come against the churches. It's happening on the east and west coast. If you don't know, we, we're kind of sheltered right out here in the Midwest. Things are pretty calm and people are pretty civil. When you get out on the coasts and you get into their media and their public environment out there, it's nasty. They hate Christians and they openly hate Christians. And the media attacks them and, the, and the, the, the politicians attack and it's just open war. We're fools, we're idiots, we're hate mongers. They get into all that social construct stuff and they accuse us of hating and all this different stuff. Well, you know something? That stuff is going to come our way. People are going to say what they're going to say, but the proof is in the pudding. And if you walk with integrity and you become known as a person who, who speaks peace and speaks good things and positivity and shares hope, I'll defend to the death somebody that spends time with me that encourages me and shows me some hope and gives me a little bit of peace as a little shelter from life's problems. Right? But you show me one more person that's got nothing to say but political blah, blah, blah and all of this division and anger and frustration, I got no time for that. I get enough of that. You see what I'm saying? See, we can be different. And the differentiator is right here in the word of God. We can be the light that we're supposed to be. We are the light that shines in the world. Amen? All right. You guys are with me. I love it. Moving on in the next chapter of Titus in chapter 3, starting at verse 14, I've got the ESV again here, and I will for the rest here. It says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I read that scripture in my studies. The Lord sent me there. I read that in the ESV. I read the, the, the KJV, and it's pretty good too, and, it sound, and it's right along those lines, but in the ESV, when it said, so as to help cases of urgent need, I thought, life groups, connect groups, ladies' ministry, men's ministry, Bible study ministry. You understand what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of cases of urgent need out there. What have I been preaching for the last six months to a year? Who did Jesus go after? Who did Jesus talk to? The broken, the outcast, the leper, the hurting, the dying, the publicans. We have a mission that we've formulated here together as a leader team and a vision that God has given me of a mission church that's going to reach into our community and be a source of hope to reach those urgent cases of need. And oh, brother and sister, we are not going to be unfruitful. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 21 in the ESV says it very simply, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Have you noticed that in these last few scriptures? It's talked a lot about how we appear before men. See, God knows. God knows that we'll be under scrutiny. God knows that people will say, are you going to be that? All those churches are nothing about money. It's all about money. All those churches, all they do is sit around and judge everybody. They just judge people. They think they're holier now. You've heard all this stuff, right? Not abundant life. No, 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 no. Abundant life is that church that helps people. Abundant life is that church that has that grief share program. My mom went there when my dad died. And oh my goodness, did they help her? And so on and so on. You see what I'm saying? The more that we show out to the world and in the sight of men that we're honorable. Why? Because we're doing it with excellence. Amen? First Thessalonians chapter 5 and 21 says this, but test everything. This is ESV again. But test everything. We should, folks, it's never a good thing to do to just receive stuff in from, from any source or, or anything you read or, I mean, we, except the internet. That's always true. <laughs> if it's on the internet, it's totally true. Test everything. This is something that an excellent, excellent person does. This is what excellent salesmen would do. It's, a, it's what an excellent preacher would do. Test everything. The Bible says try the spirits, right? What are you dealing with? What's coming at you? What are you doing? Test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Abstain. That means just don't get involved with it. Okay? Evil shows up in subtle and simple ways. We have a way of justifying sometimes evil. Saying it's okay or that's not really it. This is something different. Things like gossip. Slander. Backbiting. Come on. Cheating on your taxes. Every form of evil in every way you can. An excellent Christian kicks it all out. Come on. James chapter 1 and 27 says it this way. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. Ready? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pretty simple little formula there, isn't it? Folks, I just defined exactly how we're going to fulfill James 1 and 27. We're reaching out. We're visiting them in their affliction. And we're staying away from their stain. You can stand with me tonight. I'm closing. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. Many of you know that scripture very well. What does it mean when it says your calling and your election? You see, there's a difference, and you may remember this phrase from a visiting minister we had not too long ago, but there's a difference between being convicted and being convinced and being converted. Okay? Well, I'm kind of convicted, so I come to church because I know I need to do better. That's not enough. It's a growth. It's a step. Well, being convinced is, is just, yep, 
I came, I was convicted. I, I, I know that I'm supposed to be here. I need to be a Christian. I need to get to reading the word and I need to worship God. And, and so that's absolutely a truth in my life. Well, that's just being convinced, right? But to be converted is what God's really looking for. To be converted is when you make your calling and your election sure. See, your calling comes from the Lord. The Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. You know your calling because you're here. You know that God has called you because some way through a path of life, some situation presented itself where that you were invited to come to church and get to know God and have this truth experience. And so you know that your calling is real. Your election is that I'm convicted and I'm converted. My election is I elect to serve God, and I'm going to be an excellent Christian. To be converted is to let your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance. Now listen to this beautiful promise. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, did you catch that? A door opens for you when you make your election and your calling sure. When you are convinced, convicted, excuse me, uh, (laughs) you remember that part. I just did a Joe Biden. When you're convicted, convinced, and converted, you've made that step. And a door opens wide to the kingdom for you. It's pretty awesome. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, this is my last scripture in the King James. It says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. When it says be perfect, obviously it doesn't, it's not talking about operational perfection. What it's saying is be right. Be excellent. That's what that word perfect literally means. Excellence. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This altar is open tonight. I'm just challenging some fellow warriors of mine, some excellent Christians to come out. Put your foot down. I'm going to be excellent. And I'm going to keep striving for excellence. Some days I won't be. Some days your pastor isn't excellent. I'm working on it. But recognize it and know it. And the next day, get up and be just a little bit more excellent. And God's going to open a door for you. And this is going to be a magnificent work. Amen. Love and appreciate you all. God bless. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.